All houses wherein men have lived and died are haunted houses. Through the open doors, the harmless phantoms on their errands glide with feet that make no sound upon the floors. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Greetings, creeps, and welcome to my podcast, This House is Haunted. Over the next several weeks, I'll be sharing my personal experiences of having spent two years in a haunted house in eastern Kentucky. Due to the spooky nature of this podcast, viewer discretion is advised as I take you into a world filled with things that go bump in the night. My family has roots in southeastern Kentucky that goes all the way back to the 1700s when folks were just starting to settle into the area. Many of our kin before that came over from Ireland and Scotland on my mama's side and England and Scotland on my daddy's side. Most of my mama's side of the family can be traced back well over a hundred years in the same holler she grew up in. There's a vein of folks with red hair that can be traced back just as far, with my grandma being one of those. One of my first memories of her was seeing her beautiful, long, auburn hair after she'd just taken it from her signature braid, and I remember marveling at the curtain of silken locks that cascaded nearly to her feet. Mamma was a practicing old regular Baptist, which meant her hair was never cut, as was customary of women in that faith. If you haven't heard of old regular Baptists, it's probably because you didn't grow up in rural Appalachia. That faith seemingly intertwined with the same folks who braved the depths of the coal mines to feed their families and afford them luxuries like indoor plumbing, which was still relatively sparse in eastern Kentucky as recent as the 1940s. My mama still recollects using a Sears and Roebuck magazine as tissue paper in the outhouse that sat several feet away from the main house she grew up in. Mamma was the quiet type. Unless you had the ill fortune of stepping through her flower beds, which would warrant her chucking rocks at you from the front porch until you had the good sense to find a better place to stand. But I remember thinking that she was... She always seemed to be observing the people around her. It wasn't just to make sure you had a glass of lemonade or something to snack on, neither. Like most southern households. It seemed to me she was always looking through folks to figure out if they meant her or hers any harm. She was a mother eight times over, having lost two of her children, one only after a year, and my uncle Eugene much later to the devil known as cancer that took her from us too. And I believe mothers have a special superpower to be able to look through most folks to identify who their youngins should take up with and who they should avoid sitting with at the church for fear of the wrong kind of influence. Mamma always looked you in the eye when she talked to you, and since her words were sparse most days, if she talked, folks tended to listen to what she had to say. So when my life felt like it was being ripped apart by things that only I seemed to be seeing and felt like even my dreams were no longer safe, it was Mamma with her iron backbone and her sight that I wanted to use more than anything in the world. She wasn't getting out much on her own by the time we had moved to Kentucky, 
The cancer having made the woman I would have once sworn was made out of the very same stuff the mountains were, moved more cautiously and slowly. Mamaw had opted not to do chemo so that she could value the time she had left. She said the days she would have gained wouldn't be of any count since she had watched the wasting nature of chemotherapy take her son just years before. It was December before Mamaw made her first trip to the house to stay the weekend with us and celebrate the holidays. Winter had showed up like an angry teenager, slamming the door on mild fall nights and kicking it back open to frigid, damp temperatures. I hadn't been sleeping much, choosing to sleep with my parents and my sister every night and insisting that a light stay on. On nights when I did doze off, my dreams were filled with hissing voices that spoke so quickly I couldn't understand what was being said. I hadn't seen the thing in the window or the thing in the shadows, but I rarely stepped foot out of my parents' bedroom once the sun went down, choosing instead to stay in one place in the house that felt safe to me. I didn't go outside to play, and I often feigned illness to keep my parents from fretting too much about this drastic change in my daily living. I went from a vivacious ball of blonde curls framing sharp, mischievous green eyes to a child trapped in the tight fist of her own fear. Mama had been busy going back and forth to Mamaw's house to help her, and when she was gone, Daddy had his hands full with the three of us kids and managing the farm. We had pigs down in the barn now, a herd of goats, some ducks, rabbits, and chickens, in addition to a couple of ponies and some pigeons that Daddy insisted were good eating. But my sister and I weren't buying that, having heard Mama call them sky rats. I don't know about you, but the thought of eating a rat made my toes curl in a bad way. Anyhow. I remember waiting on the front porch with my sister the evening Mama brought Mamma over for her first visit. We were both bundled up well enough to trek across Siberia, since Daddy was under strict orders to make sure we didn't go running wild in just our sweatsuits as we were prone to do. Well, at least before moving into the house. Since we got there, I felt like we were all always chilling, wearing heavy sweatshirts and jogging pants with layered socks to take the nip out of the air. Mama had someone look at the thermostat a few times by now, and the repairmen just scratched their heads and insisted things were working fine and it must be an insulation issue. Daddy said he checked the insulation himself and it all looked pretty well done, so... We had adapted to bundling up to seek refuge from the customary cold of the house. I hadn't stepped foot in the playroom in nearly a month, but could still hear the soft scratching noises echoing down the hall late in the night, often followed by the sweet scent of honeysuckle to let me know the lady in light was still standing sentinel. I had a tiny cardboard matchbox tucked into my jacket pocket which I would reach in and touch every few seconds. It contained the doll my daddy had removed from the wall, as well as the picture of what I truly believed was the lady in white. I had hidden them away in fear of the thing in the shadows somehow finding and taking it away. I'm not sure why I felt that way, but I had the sense that it wanted it to be found, but didn't want me to keep it. The door shut loudly beside us, and I jumped, startled out of my reverie. My brother, Wayne, was standing by the door sullenly, looking out towards the driveway. What are you girls doing on the porch? It's like 40 degrees out here right now. 
He zipped up his faded brown leather bomber jacket, a staple in his 80s Top Gun-inspired look these days, and rubbed his hands together emphatically, pulling his shoulders up towards his ears as he did so. When we didn't respond, he looked quizzically at us. Hello, Earth the Dorks, come in, Dorks, can you read me? Stifling a laugh at his own wit. I raised one impossibly cynical eyebrow for one so young and said, Doesn't feel much different from in the house if you ask me. Besides, Mamaw's coming back with Mama tonight and we wanted to see her as soon as she got here. My sister, no longer enamored by the My Little Pony she had brought along for her entertainment, said, We figured Mamaw would want to see her favorites first. As she placed it beside her, its pink body and yellow mane appearing impossibly cheerful for such a dreary evening. Wayne scoffed, rolling his eyes. I got twelve years with Mamma all by myself, so I think we know who the favorite grandkid is here. Not missing a beat, I said. Did you get her anything from the book fair? Cause Sissy and I saved up our money to get her a world's best grandma keychain instead of those new Berenstein Bear books. What'd you get her, Wayne? I couldn't hide my smirk, knowing good and well Wayne had spent his money on posters and slap bracelets and a couple of bookmarks to share with whatever girl he currently had a crush on. He frowned, pushing his dark spiked hair back from his sparsely mustached face. Mamma don't need a keychain, dummies. She can't even drive anymore. My sister, no longer able to hold in her anger at the mention of something Mamma's illness had robbed her of, wheeled around, took off her shoe, and threw it directly at Wayne's head. He shouted angrily, Are you crazy? I can't help it she's sick, Molly. I was just saying she don't need a keychain if she can't drive. Don't go nuclear on me over it. You don't talk about her like that, she shouted back, reaching for her other shoe before I pushed her hand away, turning to stare venomously at our brother. She's still got a house, Nimrod. She carries a key for that. Wayne was biting his bottom lip as if fighting to refrain from shouting since Daddy was just down at the barn watering the animals. You are so lucky that I am so far beyond fighting with babies. Here he chucked Molly's shoe back at her, sending it forcefully in the porch railing. Tell Dad I'm walking over to Billy Bob's house and I'll be back before 11. And here he walked quickly down the front steps and then towards the gravel driveway pushing his collar up around his ears and shoving his hands in his pocket. I thought it was pretty funny that he called us the dork, but he was the one with short, spiky hair on top and cascading brown locks past his shoulders. Wayne insisted it was a rat tail, but it looked like a full-on horse's tail to me. Why you needed a tail on your head, I'll never know. My sister, on the same wavelength, muttered, He's the dork pulling her winter boot back on past her pink cotton socks. Yeah, he sure does act like a rat since growing that thing out. My sister laughed loudly, placing her hand on her belly, and I couldn't help but join her. We sat there several minutes, talking about all the ways our brother was way more dorky than we were, when we heard the familiar rumble of my mother's gray Chevy Nova pulling up the holler. We both jumped up, excited that Mamma was almost here. As the car began pulling into the drive, the overwhelming smell of something deeply pungent assaulted my senses. 
I closed one eye, pinching my nose between my fingers, and said, Molly, what did you eat? She had stopped jumping up and down and was now smelling the air with me. Her face screwed up in a grimace. Me? That's not me. It smells like rotten bologna or something. That's, that smells like the time the bathroom backed up when we tried to give those G.I. Joes a funeral, remember? It rang a bell and she wasn't wrong. The smell was reminiscent of that, but somehow different like flowers left in a vase too long that smelled faintly floral but also dank and decayed. Like dying. It smelled like dying things. I moved closer to Molly, trying to figure out where the smell came from, but it disappeared almost as quickly as it came. By this time, Mom was walking around the car to pull out Mamaw's tiny leather suitcase and a bag with what looked like wrapped Christmas presents. Mom offered Mamma her hand, but she shook her head, smiling, and stood slowly, looking around her as if trying to fully absorb her new surroundings. I told y'all, Mamma looked at someone or something. She was really looking at it and through it. Her smile faded as she looked towards us on the porch, her eyebrows rising up in an almost alarmed expression. I felt goosebumps immediately rise across my skin. Memo had seen something. I'd almost bet on it. As if noticing my alarm, she gave a little shake of her head and closed her eyes for a second and opened them, the smile returning to her thin face. She took the arm Mama held out for her almost reluctantly, as if doing so would somehow be an admittance of just how sick she was not wanting to risk losing her footing on this unfamiliar ground. My sister had hopped immediately off the porch and rushed to wrap her arms around Mamaw's tiny waist. She was wearing a long, dark blue woolen dress and tiny black shoes with just the hint of a heel on the back. Her long auburn hair was pulled back in her usual braid, tucked underneath the large, puffy winter jacket I had seen Mama pick out for her. Winter was never a favorite of hers. Being petite and maybe a hundred pounds soaking wet, but since getting sick, her intolerance for cold had become a constant battle of layering, heating blankets, and the biggest, fuzziest socks imaginable. Her smile widened as my sister clung to her waist and talked so fast it sounded like she was being fast-forwarded. I caught phrases every now and then like Christmas ham, banana pudding, your favorite, and presents, but would hate to be asked to assuredly repeat any of it. Mama, sensing this could go on all evening, said, Molly, come on now. Let's let your mama get in the front door. It's too cold for listening out all the fun things you've planned while standing outside. Can you go inside and flip on the heating blanket I had plugged in next to the recliner so we can get Mama all warmed up? Sis gave Mama one more squeeze, and off she went to get things ready. I was still standing on the porch, waiting for Mama to get closer before walking over to give her a hug gently. Mamma smiled warmly with her lips and eyes and said, Looks like someone could use a nap, youngin. I looked up at her and saw the warmth, but also concern written across her expression. This wouldn't do. I wanted this to be a good visit. I'd heard Mama and Daddy speaking, and I knew this could be our last Christmas with Mamma. And I didn't want the darkness I'd found in the house to sullen the gift of time with someone I loved so much. I smiled widely, shaking my head. I think I'm allergic to something around the house. 
Mama said it can make my eyes look puffy. I'm okay, Mama, honest. I'm just so glad you're here. As I said this, a large clanging sound came from the smokehouse, as if a large pan had fallen to the floor. It was followed by the scratching sound that had plagued my family since moving in. We all jumped a bit, startled by the big sound. Dang, I really thought those traps would take care of it, my dad said, walking around the corner from the house from the path that led up from the barn. It has to be coons or a possum making that much of a ruckus. I looked up at Mama, who had her nails pressed firmly into my mother's forearm, little spots of white forming in my mama's skin from the pressure of her grip. Mama didn't seem to notice and was talking back to Daddy. We're just going to wind up needing to call someone, Earl. They're going to eat up everything out there and then some if we don't do something soon. Let's go inside, Mama. I was still holding on to Mama, who gave me a little pat and pulled away. Nothing wrong with that grip, girl. I see you got plenty of strength in there, she said, patting my arm. Looking back at the smokehouse, she said, I reckon you'll need it in this place. Once Mama was settled comfortably into the recliner and Mama had gotten her something to drink and the electric blanket was nice and cozy, my sister and I settled onto the floor in front of Mama with a tiny box for Christmas for her. I could see a tear forming when she opened the keychain we'd gotten her and she thanked us as if we'd given her a great treasure. We opted, or rather Mama insisted, we wait to open our gifts with our brother the next morning. We talked with Mama about family, old stories about her childhood, and about our mothers. It was hard to believe that Mama was such a rule breaker in her youth, seeing as how she was always making up new ones for us as we got older. Mama assured us that that was the. Mama assured us this was the sacred responsibility of the mother, and that someday we would do the same to our daughters. We had dinner together, with Mama eating slowly but well, and us girls dancing in our seats in anticipation of Mama's banana pudding making a special appearance this evening. After supper, we settled back into the living room, the glow of the Christmas tree filling the room and making it feel the warmest it had since we had arrived. Daddy and Mama were straightening the kitchen and talking in the dining room, and my sister and I had settled back into our respective positions closest to Mama's. We turned on the TV to watch a Charlie Brown Christmas. In the midst of our catch-up, I hadn't noticed the sun had sunk below the mountain, and that night had been ushered in oh so quietly. With Mama near, my fear had been all but erased by the loving and protective energy that she exuded. For a moment, I forgot I was in a house that had turned my days into waking nightmares. That is, until the smell of some rotten and forgotten thing invaded our senses, much like it had for my sister and I on the front porch earlier in the evening. Mamma was the first to smell it, bolting straight up in her chair and surveying the room. My sister was wrapped up in the story on the TV, but I noticed Mamma's change in body language immediately and felt my own senses sharpen in response. She lifted her nose up, inhaling deeply and frowning at the presence of the smell. I drew closer to her, now smelling the rotten stench myself and trying to breathe through my mouth so as to avoid it. Mamaw looked at me and said, I reckon you smell that too, Tina. I nodded and said, Me and Sis smelled it earlier on the porch too, but it disappeared before you and Mama came up the steps. 
At this point, my sister began to smell it as well and made sharp gagging noises in response. That smells awful. What do you think it is, Mama? She asked, her face scrunched up in a dramatic grimace. Well, I can tell you what it ain't. Your mama's Christmas cookies. Molly, why don't you go and check and make sure your mama hasn't cleaned out the fridge or something and see if she needs any help with those cookies. She started to argue, but remembering it was Mama she was talking to, she nodded and skipped out of the room, calling for Mama before she even made it to the doorway, leaving Mama and I alone. She turned to me and said, I need you to be honest with me, Tina, no matter what. I nodded solemnly, drawing my knees in towards my chest, and I remained seated closely to her on the floor. Have you seen something since you all moved in here? Something you couldn't explain? I felt a rush of adrenaline with this question, hope flooding my body and making me lightheaded for a moment. I responded in a hushed tone, turning to look and make sure we were still alone. Since we got here, Mamma, there's something something wrong with this house. Mamma extended her thin hand towards mine and pulled me up to sit next to her on the recliner, as if sensing I needed her close to talk about the house. I, I've seen things, horrible things, things that don't look human, things that scratch the walls and make it smell real bad and that make my dreams turn into nightmares, things that have talked to me and confused me and I don't know what to do because it can't be real, can it? I think Mom and Daddy think I'm crazy and I just can't stand it anymore. I was crying now, my shoulders lurching forward in great sobs as all the stress, worry, and fear washed out of me with my words. Memo held me close, not saying anything for several seconds and giving me the space I needed to release the burden I'd been carrying since we moved in. Now, Tina, it's okay. I can see you've been carrying around something dark, and it's the and the best way to take care of something like that is to shed light on it. She continued holding my hand, and I remembered the little box in my jacket and pulled away. I'll be right back. I have something to show you, Mama. As I ran to the coat rack and pulled the box from my pocket, I looked up to the kitchen window for the first time in weeks. At first, I saw only darkness but noticed that the darkness shifted the longer I looked, turning and writhing against the light shining from the kitchen. I was stuck looking at it, as if transfixed as a skeletal face began to swim forward from that darkness. And then Mamma was there, standing behind me, looking at that very window and said, You have no power here, thing. This is a child of the Lord, and he wouldn't take kindly to a thing like you lurking around to scare this baby. Get! To my surprise, the thing faded, and I turned to look at my grandma with amazement. How, how, how did you do that? You saw it, I whispered. I saw a shadow that didn't belong. I seen my share of those things growing up in places they ain't got no business being. They ain't got any power in the presence of the faithful. She turned to return to the recliner, still holding my hand. So I'm not crazy. I asked quietly as if saying it too loud would attract the very thing I wanted to avoid. Oh, Lord, no, honey. You got what folks call a second sight, where you can see in between things. Something inside of me that had been tight and terrified, 
that there was something deeply wrong with me loosened and I took a deep, quivering breath. (sighs) Mamma said I wasn't crazy, that I wasn't messed up or sick. In fact, she had a name for what happened. Second sight, I had questions. I don't just see things, I hear them and smell them and sometimes feel them. Is that normal? Mamma chuckled here and kissed my forehead. Normal doesn't exist, honey, so don't you go chasing that word all your life. You'd be chasing your tail from now until eternity if you tried to fit your life into someone else's box. She sighed. (sighs) Not to say it ain't a burden sometimes to have a gift like yours. Anybody else seen anything like you? Thought for a moment and said, They've heard the scratching and Sissy heard some kids calling her to play. Here Mamma interrupted me and said, Don't never go chasing any voices. You hear, but you can't see where they're coming from. That just leads to trouble every time. I'm going to tell your sister the same thing. I nodded earnestly, seeing the wisdom in her words before saying, I have one other thing, and pulled out the matchbox that contained the cornhusk doll and photo inside and reaching it to her. She took it and opened the box slowly looking closely at the photo and then the doll and closed it back up and set it on the floor beside her. She bowed her head for a moment, speaking quietly under her breath before raising her head and looking into my eyes. She took my hand and bowed her head once more, speaking quietly and reverently before looking at me. Where'd you find that one? She asked, tension in her voice that hadn't been there moments before. Daddy found it following those scratches sounds in the walls in the dining room. He said I could have it. I promise I didn't just take it. She closed her eyes for a moment as if gathering her thoughts and said, I'm going to take this with me and get rid of it, Tina. It's no good. I've heard them called poppets, them cornhusk dolls with the hair on top. They're used for binding people's spirits. She shuddered at the thought and continued. I reckon that lady in the picture is the one it was used on. Why, I couldn't say. That's the lady in white. She's been the only thing here that doesn't scare me. Mamma's face tightened as she said, You've seen her? I nodded and she said, Poor soul. Who knows how long she's been wandering around here. I said, She can't remember her name because she said she hadn't needed it in a long time. Mamma nodded long time then. She sighed and whispered another prayer beneath her breath. Tina, you ain't got it easy, that's for sure. She hugged me close and I felt tears welling up in my eyes again, this time from the comfort of not feeling so alone after a month of being completely isolated. You told your parents about this? Some, I said, looking down. Then they started talking about doctors and I figured I should keep things to myself. She nodded, not questioning my reasoning. Most folks have a hard time accepting things they can't see or touch. Your age don't help neither. It's a lot easier to think there's something wrong with your body than it is to accept you're tuned into something they can't lay eyes on. Your mama said you've been holding up in hers in your daddy's room once the sun sets. Is that right? I nodded, surprised mom had noticed in the flurry of her daily activities. Mamma, sensing my surprise, said, There ain't much a mama misses when one of her babies is hurting. She just can't tune into what's doing the hurting. She paused a moment to listen to the house, closing her eyes. When she opened them, 
she said. It feels like someone left the door open around here, and now there's all kinds of things walking in and out. Anyone else might have been puzzled at her words, but they rang true with me. It did feel like things passed in and out of this house, just not through the front door. What do I do, Mamma? I asked, my voice cracking with emotion. You speak up for yourself. You tell them this is your house now and they can go on. If you can see and hear them, they can do the same. They're bullies picking on a child like this and you tell them that. It might not stop at all, but it'll start drawing some lines to keep them from pestering you all the time. Mamma hugged me close again and said, Now you all know I'm not doing so good these days. I started to interject, wanting to deny that this woman that I loved fiercely was fading, but she stopped me. Pretending doesn't make anything any different, honey. It just keeps you from doing the hard work it takes to heal through something like this. She began to rock me in the chair, which still provided a comfort much like it had as a toddler. I can't change your mommy and daddy's mind about living here, but I can promise you that when my time comes, you all can move into my house and away from this place. Tears were running down my cheeks at the thought of a world without the only grandmother I had ever known. It wasn't fair. She was good and kind and didn't deserve to be eat up from the inside out. She continued speaking. No matter what happens, remember, you are alive and the living have dominion over those who passed on. This is your home now, no matter how you feel about it, until the time comes that I can give you a new one. Be strong, be brave, and don't trust nothing that ain't your family in this house. Even the lady in white? Even her. At this time, my sister came bounded back into the room with a plate of still warm cookies in hand. Mamma gave my hand one more squeeze before oohing and on over Molly's cookies. That night, when sleeping with Mom and Daddy, I kept hearing Mamma's voice in my head. Don't trust nothing that ain't your family in this house. The lady in white had seemed so sincere. But what if she was a trap? Why was she bound to this house? My mind raced with questions as my eyes grew heavier. I had to be strong. This was my house. The only problem was, the darkness I felt called it home too. Hello creeps, we've made it through episode 10 and you've all finally met Mamma. We're only two episodes away from the end of season one and we're winding up to one of the most jarring experiences I had in the house. Let's just say I'm not the only one who got touched there and that person carries a scar to this day. That's about as much spoilery as I'm willing to impart so stay tuned. I want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. I know there are thousands to choose from and it makes my spooky little heart happy that you're taking the time to listen to my story. I'm a one woman show so every like, share, and review makes my little heart go pitter-patter. It sure would mean a lot if you would take the time to give me a rating on whatever streaming service you're using to help bring my podcast to your ears and maybe strum up a few new listeners. You can also follow This House is Haunted podcast on Facebook and Instagram for updates and photos. 
You're also welcome to catch me on a podcast I co-host called Beyond the Paranormal Podcast, which is an interview-based show where my friends John, Ray, and I talk to a plethora of folks on everything from ghosts to Bigfoot to aliens. Until next time, friends, keep it creepy, and don't go chasing any voices you hear in the night, or Mamaw might give you a whipping.